following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I want to read to you a text from today's lectionary readings. This is Exodus 16, 2 through 15. And the, the whole text in this case will be on the screen. If you'd if you like to follow along, you don't even need to uh, open up your Bible unless you prefer to read it out of that. Um, it will be right on the screen behind me. This is a story about uh, what happened to the Israelites shortly after they uh, escaped from slavery in Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, and omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. And the story goes on from there, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a bit. Well, I want to tell you a story. There was once a family that went to Disney World. It was a family of, let's say, four. what is it they call Disney World, the, the happiest, happiest place on earth? Well, it is a happy place. Uh, but this family, uh, on one occasion, during their visit to said happy place, uh, was not experiencing very much happiness. As a matter of fact, the, the children of the family were complaining bitterly. They were, um, you might say, murmuring or muttering uh, against their um, father. Well, and uh, uh, let's be fair, uh, the father himself was 
experiencing a moment of um, unrest and uh, may have been complaining uh, somewhat internally and somewhat, uh, what's the opposite of internally? Uh, Out loud. Uh, thinking perhaps, uh, maybe, about how much he was spending per minute, <laughs> standing in line for a ride he didn't want to go on with children who apparently were not pleased with the happiest place on earth. <laughs> um, the truth is, this is every family that's ever gone to Disney World, right? Um, every family who, who is uh, fortunate enough to go to Disney World has that experience um, at least one day, and maybe a little bit of, of each day. So um, there's, something, there's something about, I think, the human condition that we learn <laughs> standing in line in a place like Disney World where where um, you could not possibly be more fortunate. Like on the, on the uh, scale of how lucky people have been throughout human history, you were like really in the top, like just tiny, 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 uh, like, um, or the opposite of tiny. It's like you're in the high numbers percentiles. I'm a humanities person, as you know. Um, <laughs> but you're, the point is you're really lucky. <laughs> and uh, you still find a, a way to complain. Uh, we have this thing in us that that makes us feel unsatisfied no matter how much we get. That makes us complain no matter how much we have to be thankful for. We're never quite satisfied. But at the same time, we, meaning humanity, we have this other thing in us that gives us the capacity for a depth of gratitude that is incomprehensible, even in the midst of the lowest moments of our life. And man, has, has our part of the world experienced some low parts of life these past few weeks? And you, you, you see people on the news being interviewed, um, talking about how thankful they are. That their, their home was a total loss and yet their family is safe. And even people who have actually lost loved ones, you can sometimes hear them with this, uh, as I said, incomprehensible level of, of peace and gratitude. We have, all of us, we have the capacity for that, just like we have the capacity to complain in the line at Disney. And I think in order to fully understand where I would like to go today and where I hope that we can all get together today, it's important for us to recognize that each of us has the capacity for both types of responses. So today's sermon is entitled Complaint and Provision. And we want to be thinking together about the story that we just read and that uh, we just saw a depiction of on screen with the art meditation that Ariana led. It's the story from uh, the Hebrew Bible reading in today's lectionary uh, readings. It's Exodus 16, 2 through 15. Um, so we won't read it again right now, but I'll summarize some of what happened. In case you weren't here for the reading, or in case maybe you're listening to this on our podcast and you haven't recently read Exodus 16. 
The people of God, the Israelites, had just been uh, redeemed from slavery in Egypt, which had gone on for generations through a series of miracles. Um, God led, uh, using Moses, led the people out of slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea toward the land that had been promised to their ancestor Abraham hundreds of years before. They were, they thought, on the cusp of seeing the fruition of this promise that they had heard, told, passed down from one generation to the other. But no sooner did they get out of Egypt, their feet were probably still wet from the mud of the shores of the Red Sea, that they started to complain about their lack of food. And not just complain, I'm talking like comical level, lay it on thick level of complaint. They were saying, actually, man, we would have been better off if we never left Egypt. Do you remember what they were experiencing in Egypt? It was slavery. And they were saying, it was right there in verse 3, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And they think back wistfully, longing for those days. When we sat by the flesh pots, which is a funny word that we don't use anymore. I think of fondue. It's just like a, it's like a pot of meat. We sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And did you notice as we read that text how many times the word complain or complaint came up? The people complained against Moses and Aaron. And Moses and Aaron said, you're not complaining about us, you're complaining to the Lord who has heard your complaint. Do you notice how there's a verb and a noun here? Really interesting. The, 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 um, the noun form of, com- you know, what we translate complaint means like a muttering or a murmuring or a whispering. Have you ever heard people who complain under their breath? Remember when we read the flesh pots and the bread? It's that kind of thing. But the verb form... What's a verb? It's uh, science people. It's an action word. (laughs) I don't know percentiles. Maybe you don't know verbs. I don't know how this works. (laughs) The verb form to complain literally means to stay the night. It's used in other places in the Hebrew Bible to mean like stay over. And in this context, it's one of those weird things that happens with language sometimes. Uh, something that means something that has nothing to do with, with complaint, really, gets used to mean complaining. Right? But isn't it instructive to think about the, the action of complaining as an ongoing one, like an overnight thing, like you're going to sleep over at Misery's house tonight, Right? How many of us have found ourselves complaining and you, <clears throat> you start to complain and you're like, man, this isn't making me feel better, but it's not exactly making me feel worse either. And you just keep going with it. And pretty soon you're stewing in your own negativity. <clears throat> now, let me be clear here. I, I want to make a distinction between complaining and lamenting. We talk about lament a lot at Artisan. I think um, lament is something that's missing from, uh, from most Western church culture, even though it's like 
all through the Bible. We tend to skip over that kind of thing and to say, well, you know, uh, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? Or I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we sing those songs even if it's not remotely true. And what would be better and more honest and more spiritual and more consistent with Scripture would be to say, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? That's lament. And that's uh, a normal, and if you will pardon the uh, adjectival form, biblical way of uh, responding to pain in our lives. I think complaint might be something a little bit different. But I want to make sure that those of you who have suffered greatly or who might right now be suffering greatly know that I'm not saying to you, you should keep silent about that or you should put on a happy face, okay? But you could compare and contrast Exodus 16 and the complaining of the Israelites, the, the sleeping over it in negativity, uh, with the psalm that we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 145, or one of the other psalms that was listed in the lectionary readings, if, if you read them this week, was Psalm 105, which actually is even more specifically responsive to this uh, narrative in, in the book of Exodus. But the one that we used today was Psalm 145, and it starts out, Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. Thinking back, you know, to the, the great things that God has done in the midst of the people of Israel and singing songs about it. We sing songs like that uh, in our own way. Blessing Yahweh's name and praising Yahweh's deeds. Now, to a certain extent, you might look at these two texts and say, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. They, maybe they know something now that they didn't know then or, or maybe they've forgotten how bad they really did feel or maybe it's you know, the great-grandson singing the song about what happened to the great-grandparents and he wasn't really there. But you see both things evidenced in Scripture. Complaint and praise against God and to God. So one observation that I would make, which I hope will be helpful to you, is though it may not be an ideal part of our life, complaint is a normal part of the spiritual life. So surely none of us look at the Israelites in Exodus 16 complaining in the wilderness and think, oh, their attitude, that's pretty wonderful. That's something that I would like to emulate. If only I could be like them. Nobody's, Nobody's saying that. But... As with so many of the stories of God's people, we probably can draw some reassurance from the fact that they are not behaving in a commendable way. One of the things that's uh, beautiful and makes me love the Bible more is that you have these stories of people behaving badly. And believe me, it it got a lot, they got a lot worse as time went on, they found out, guess what? You're, you're actually not getting to the promised land right away. It's going to be a few years, like 40, right? They got worse. And their behavior as they entered the promised land did not exactly uh, embody the, the eternal spirit of Christ's peace, if you know what I'm saying. But we can draw some reassurance from the fact that these complaining, miserable people were still used by God. God did not abandon his promises to them. 
God did fulfill those promises and blessed them, and God worked through them and in them to bring blessings to the nations around them in the end. And when you think specifically about the fact that they were complaining, and then you look at the result, what followed on after their complaint, you really have some cause to be hopeful because what happened? They got what they needed. God responded to them. God gave them food. And as a matter of fact, he was rather specific in the way he gave them the food. Do you remember the complaints? Oh, remember the fondue in Egypt? We had the flesh pots and we had the bread. Meat and bread. And God says, guess what? Here's some quail to eat every night. Well, what about the bread? We had bread too. Okay, Wait until morning. How about bread every morning? Well, six days a week. You have to observe the Sabbath. That's the, that's the little test that's uh, kind of inherent in the provision. God gave them exactly the things that they were complaining that they didn't have. Right? And maybe because I want to make God in my own image <laughs> rather than try to make myself in God's image, I, think, I like to think about the fact that God was like... Mm. They want meat and bread? They're going to get meat and bread. (laughs) Forty years of meat and bread. (laughs) They're never going to want to touch meat or bread again. (laughs) That's if God were made in my image. Again, not the other way around. So, as we bring this in for a landing here, I want to think a little bit about this story and about God's provision. We've talked about some complaint. Now I want to talk about provision, the other half of the sermon title. If we were to um, read this one story in the Bible and do a little book report, if you will, on how God provides for God's people, there's a few lessons that might emerge. This is a useful, useful exercise, but it's not the only way you should think about things like God's provision, right? You should not just look at one story and like, okay, if I were doing a fifth grade book report, here's the things I would come out of it, and that's the whole story, right? Because it's not the whole story. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of more stories in the Bible, and the, the whole picture is a little bit harder to grasp, and it doesn't, it seems to resist our need to, to make it into a systematic little list, right? That said, I do have a little list. Based on this story, here's what we could say about God's provision, at least in this instant, instance, and I, and I think it probably would be instructive for us today. The first thing is this. God's provision probably doesn't come early, but it does come on time. The people might have wanted to sit around all day eating. They might have wanted bread at night or meat in the morning, but it went the other way around. God's provision came to them Before they starved, but not before they were hungry. And so if you're waiting on God's provision in your life, you might find a lesson in this story along those lines that says, I need to trust God to provide for me in time, even though God might not provide early, which would be much more comfortable. The second lesson is this. God's provision is not extra but it is enough. If you go on to read the rest of this story, or if you read the other account of manna in uh, Numbers 11, I think it is, you see that uh, they want to gather more, right? (laughs) 
They're smart. They're being the little, you know, little squirrels that they are, like gathering up their nuts. And they think, well, uh, if I got more bread this morning, I wouldn't have to get up so early tomorrow. And what happens is that the bread uh, gets maggots in it. Right? There's not extra in God's provision in this case. There's enough to get them through the day. And with this little twist on the miracle, there's enough to get them through two days when it comes time to, for the Sabbath because they, don't, they shouldn't go out and work on the, the Sabbath. So they get enough and it lasts and there's no maggots in it. Right? God's provision might not be extra, but it will be enough. And so you might have to, if you're waiting for God's provision, you might have to adjust your expectations a little bit. You might have to rethink, what would be enough for me right now? Am I really asking God for extra? Now, sometimes God gives you extra. There are blessings. But God's provision is very often just enough. And the third lesson is my favorite one, which is that God's provision may not be recognizable for what it is at first. When the Israelites got up that first morning when the bread had rained down from heaven and the dew had dried up and there was left this fine dust, the bread from heaven, what was it that they said when they woke up and looked out of their tents? What is that? (laughs) Which in Hebrew is manna. The, the bread is actually named. What is that? <laughs> God's provision has, has literally been defined as, huh? <laughs> wow. Wow. The idea that God will provide for you, and you might not even see it. You might not know what it is. <laughs> you might not know what to do with it at first. So it may not come early, but it comes on time. It may not be extra, but it will be enough. And you might not even recognize it when it first appears. But there's one final lesson, the biggest lesson, I think. Uh, And and this one I will not hesitate to apply to us broadly for, for all situations in which we may be in want or need. Uh after the people had finished their wanderings, they were on the cusp of the promised land. Now Moses was not allowed to go in with them but because of something that had gone wrong along the way. But he was giving them a, one big sermon just before they went into the promised land. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It's the second giving of the law. It's, it's Moses reminding them of all the things. Right? All the ways that God provided for them. And he's saying, remember, 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 and do not forget. And when he gets to the story of manna, Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3, he says this, Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, which you with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand, and here's the big lesson, that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now I think Moses' direct application there was to the law. 
specifically the Sabbath, because you, you see it right in the story. The two-day miracle thing was a test to see if the people would obey the Sabbath, would observe the Sabbath as the law commanded. But we as Christians understand this even, uh, even more broadly than that. Because it was this last line of Moses' little snippet that I read to you that Jesus himself quoted during his own wanderings in the wilderness. You remember at the beginning of his ministry, he went out into the wilderness and was fasting for 40 days and was tempted by the tempter, the accuser, the Satan, who said to him, hey, you look hungry. If you are who you say you are, take this stone and turn it into a loaf of bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3, uh, saying, no, I'm not going to do that because one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later, Jesus would say that he himself was actually the true bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven, sent down by God for the nourishment of God's people. He would also say to people who were concerned about what they would eat or what they would wear or where they would live, first, seek the kingdom of God. And then all those other things will be added on later. And so the final lesson is that all our needs will be met. God will provide. I believe that with all my heart. But... These needs and, and, and the provision for those needs, those are not the most important things. They're not the most important way that God provides for us. The true provision that is needed for our life is the word that proceeds from God. The word which was made flesh and lived among us, tabernacled among us, stayed overnight in our tents with us. Jesus, God's first and God's final word, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And it is never easy, and we should never be flippant about it just because it's a simple concept to understand that we should seek Jesus first and then the other things will come. It's actually, I believe, a lifetime's work to take our focus from our immediate needs, and to fix our gaze instead on our eternal needs. And that is one reason why the words of Scripture, proclaimed faithfully, will always point us to the sacrament of Holy Communion. Our entire liturgy is structured to get us to this table. All the songs we sing, all the Scriptures we read, all the sermons I preach are designed to bring us to this moment of remembrance, of celebration, of proclamation, of sustenance, of grace, and of mercy, of provision. And so if you are in need this morning, if you are seeking God's provision for something in your life, I would encourage you to fix your gaze on Jesus first and seek the kingdom that he proclaimed and announced and ushered in. And one way to do that is to come to the table. 
If your mind's not quite in that place, let me encourage you to come to the table anyway, because sometimes getting there to the table helps put your mind in that right place. But it's always okay to abstain from this, especially if you do not consider yourself a Christian. It would be fine for you simply to observe and think on these things and pray. We'll have a member of the prayer team who will be at the back of the room willing to pray with you in person if you wish as we sing our last couple of songs. And... um, Children are welcome to take communion with their families. If you'd like to get them and bring them here first, you can, or you can go get them right afterwards, whatever's for you, uh, whatever's better for you. Let me invite you to the table with this beautiful Iona invitation. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you. It is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And our table is open. I invite you to come as we continue to worship God in song. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.